This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights. Indie Insights is our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to the film industry, movies, and the creatives that make them, not to mention you, our esteemed listeners. Inside, you'll find curated industry trends, articles, exclusive commentary, and underappreciated films from filmmakers like yourselves worldwide. And the best part is that it's completely free. So sign up today at www.bonsai.film forward slash subscribe. It takes just a few seconds. And once you sign up, you'll get our next newsletter on Friday morning. It's that simple. Go to www.bonsai.film forward slash subscribe to get Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter, and join a network of film creatives just like yourself. That's www.bonsai.film forward slash subscribe to get Indie Insights for free. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley. My name is Nell Tier. I am an actress, writer, director, producer. You might know me from the film Bolivar. Uh, you might know me if you are into watching dubs on Netflix, Disney Plus, or Amazon. I direct a lot of those voices. Uh, some of those titles are Sexify, Ignorant Angels, The War Next Door. Um, and if you've been with me for a long time, you might know me from my musical days. Um, I did the original cast of Memphis in 2002. Um, I'm so excited to be here today on Make It, and I can't wait to jump in and start answering questions. Neil Tier, welcome to the Make It podcast. Thank you. Thank you for being here. This is going to be a deep dive conversation as usual, but what I think what will make it different is that you have... Uh, a variety of backgrounds and experiences. So this could go all over the place and I'll, I'll do my best to keep us on track and not get into too many tangents, but I I won't be of any help to you. Yeah. I was going to say, I can tell already uh, that we are going to be prone to some of these tangents. (laughs) I try to think of like a nice way to say it. Like, we uh, we get along too easily already, and it's going to be yeah. hard not to just talk about our favorite flavor of pop tart. Uh, but I'll but oh, for this audience, 100%. I'll <laughs> I'll try my best to, to keep us on track. And my first attempt at that will be to read okay. uh, your bio and give this audience a deeper sense of who you are. All right, Nell Tier is an award-winning director, producer, actress, and writer. She's a native Texan and graduate of New York University's Tisch School of the Arts. Originally trained as a stage actor, Nell was a member of the original cast of Memphis, 
which went on to win the Tony Award for Best Musical in 2010. In 2012, Nell began her career, began her career as a director and has since completed over 100 and 20 projects, including feature and short films, commercials, live stage performances, pilot presentations, web series, music videos, and more than a dozen foreign language dubs for Netflix, Disney Plus, and Amazon. She is currently attached to three feature films and is adapting a book into a limited series through her production company, Tear Lit. Did I pronounce that right, Tear Lit? Beautiful, beautiful. Neil is also the co-founder or the founder rather of Harmon Creek Press, through which she published her children's book, Celia and the Witches, and is dedicated to mentoring teens and young people. Her feature film right now is called Bolivar, not named after the Venezuelan president, but after the Port Bolivar in in Texas. Um, She is the mastermind behind it. Uh, She wrote, directed, and stars in this film, feature film, alongside Robert Pine and Tracy Toms, great cast. Uh, Nell collaborated with renowned entertainment outlet The Rap for the world premiere of Bolivar, held at the legendary Hollywood Legion Theater in Los Angeles. Bolivar is an emotional drama that follows a woman named Maggie as she deals with the devastating grief caused by the death of her mother. When Maggie's attic brother shows up to wreak havoc on her life, she's forced to make sense of a new reality that may not be what it seems. And we won't give away too much of this. I hope everybody goes and watches that. We're definitely going to talk about your wonderful feature film, Bolivar. It's a indie film triumph, in my opinion. But because we are having this conversation on the 6th of January, 2023, so full disclosure on the date, uh, we have a bad habit of releasing these podcasts much later than when we actually have the conversation. We're working on that, and we're going to do much better in 23. But because of that, Uh, We kind of just started this year and uh, based on just your experience, both in uh, time, like how long you've been doing it and the variety of things you've done within the film industry. I'm curious what your opinion is on the state of the film industry and do you have any bold predictions for 2023? God. I have so many opinions. You're going to have to, when you threw down January 6th, I thought we were taking this thing political. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm ready. I'm I just ready. didn't even occur to me. I am you know, ready. That's I was true. like, okay. I, it's a like one year anniversary, like, right? All right. Well, here's or two year anniversary. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So um, the state of the industry, you know, it's really interesting. I, I, sort of watching trends and conversations and, you know, having been in this industry for so long and in so many different uh, capacities as an actor, as a producer, as a writer, um, as a director, um, you know, I grew up watching my mom be directed on stage. You know, I used to spend my, my evenings in the green room or in the audience, whatever, doing homework, watching musical numbers, you know, um, Things are obviously shifting. I mean, uh, experiences that I had 15 years ago, even 10 years ago, I don't think um, would happen 
at this point. I mean, I say that, I don't know. Um, I what think are some of those experiences, if I can jump in? Oh, just, just meaning, you know, just outright um, misogyny or uh, sort of feeling preyed upon um, yeah. by certain you know, producers, um, that I met when I initially got to LA, um, you know, having directors like in my twenties go, well, you know, just stand up stage left and look pretty. And you're like, Oh, okay. Well, don't know how to dig in and find that character. But I, 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 so I think there's a, I think there's a shift certainly for women. I think there's a shift in the way that stories are being told, which is super exciting. Um, and the representation is shifting, you know, Thank God, though it's still not sort of representative in the way that it needs to be. I mean, we're still not seeing a, a real representation of what the world looks like. Yeah. I think we're getting there. Um, and, um, and I think there are so many people in our industry who are fighting for that in a very real, in a very um, stable way. Like they're planting seeds right? Mm-hmm. And things are growing from that. And we're seeing that. I mean, I, um, Gina Davis, you know, I listened to her speak, my God, almost 10 years ago. And she said, you know, when we did Thelma and Louise, it was like the industry shifting and this is happening and then nothing. And then we did a league of their own and the industry is shifting and there's more representation and da, 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 and then nothing. And so, you know, I think that, that, because of things that have happened, because of the pandemic, because of the iPhone, because of being able to make your own media, being able to tell your own stories, being able to get that out there and do it and having our own platforms through Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or whatever it is, um, we are able to drive that. We're all able to sort of join together and push the cart, you know, to open the doors and get in. Um, so, so I do feel that that is shifting, you know, I mean, I know I feel impatient sometimes, um, <laughs> stuff. um, but then I have to step back and go, okay, well, no, we're making, we're making ground. We may lose some every once in a while, you know, the pandemic was difficult. I think certainly for the numbers of, of female directors in, um, studio films and in television, you know, I know we saw a little bit of a dip. But again, it's that push, it's the momentum. And um, I think we're all committed to that. So I do see a lot of that in the industry and it's exciting. Any bold predictions for 2023 industry-wide? Do you have a opinion on the state of the theater or anything like that? You know. Not theater plays, but theater chains, I guess I should specify. Oh, oh, theater chains. Okay, because I was like, well. Mm-hmm. I, yes, the theater is coming back. I, I just directed a, um, a beautiful new play by Casey Rogers, uh, for I am a, we did a reading of it, a stage reading of it. Oh, I love I am a, um, later. My, my, my buddy, Stephanie Black ran that for years. Ah, she still runs it. Yeah. I, I thought she that was going to stop, but she's amazing. Brilliant. Well, she's, she's not being allowed to stop yet. Okay. She was going to, <laughs> she's, no, one she's, of the, she's one of the best people in I love her. I love her. I just saw her. I just, just saw her. Just got to hug and kiss her. Like tell her, tell her Chris Barkley said, said hello. Oh, I will. And I'm coming. To visit. Um, yeah. She's, she's so wonderful. Yep. Uh, so, um, but, but okay. So shifting from stage and into um, 
you know, I think one of the saddest things for me <laughs> is that I live right in the middle of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I'm on Sunset and Seward. I'm about a five minute walk from the dome. Yeah. And, uh, and the fact that it's just sitting there empty is, it, to me is just, it's just heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping maybe here's my bold prediction in 2023. Mm-hmm. One of our beloved movie stars, director, producers, whomever, they're going to get in there, they're going to buy it, renovate it, and it's going to be brought back to life in the grandest of ways. You know, because we've got the Vista Theater getting an overhaul um, where I grew up, the River Oaks Little Theater. You know, we had um, Tarantino with the Vista. We have Wes Anderson and Richard Linkletter with um, the theater here in Houston. So I think it's up to us, you know, it's up to us. They're the relics of our creative childhoods, you know, um, yeah. and, and the history of, of our industry. We can't let these theaters fall into, you know, disarray. We have to continue to breathe life into them and breathe consciousness into them. And, you know, that's like a thing is only a thing if you believe it is the thing. So we have to continue to do that. So hopefully somebody's going to come along, put some money and love into it. And then I can go watch movies there again. Here, here. I think it's a reminder that it's still up to individuals and people. So let's just say groups of individuals to take on the responsibility of molding the world you want to see when you step outside your door. It's very easy to be, Compl- uh, sort of complicit with uh, allowing you know someone else to mold your existence. I think it's really easy to be complacent and just sit in the house and let so-and-so company executive, whatever, make a decision that's going to affect a larger community uh, when the reality is those entities can't exist without your buy-in literally with your dollars, your time, et cetera. And just so many thoughts on, on what you were saying, but I, I won't leave you hanging. I will, I will give you my bold prediction of 2023, in the film industry. My bold prediction is the return of ads. I think for the last five years, maybe even since Netflix launched. So 15 years ago, 16 yeah. years ago, there's been this push just to find a new model to get away from ads. When you look at it from a macro standpoint, that's all subscriptions are is a way to drive revenue without having to depend on advertising. I think that it costs so much to make a movie and subscribers are so insatiable. They need new content all the time that either those subscription models have to like jump to $25 a month or more or you have to have tiers of content that do include advertising because those advertisers are still waiting there. Uh, so many of the big brands like Coca-Cola, for example, they just simply do brand marketing. Yeah. They, they don't have to, they're not asking you to buy a Coke from your Netflix app. they just want you to be aware that Coke is there and yeah. that they're number one and they're still there and they still have a polar bear drinking Coke. And it's, you know, it's, yeah. they want to let you know that they want to let you know, Coke in a movie, are still a good buddy. You know, still good friends. I should say, yeah. I think you're going to see ads 
you're already starting to see the creep of it a little bit. But if you've gone to the theater in the last year to watch a, a film, you've noticed that just regular commercials are running before the trailers. Yeah. And I think you're going to see more of that. I think, and, and you know, and that's, that's my I, big prediction. I, and I'm with you, you know, there are a lot of models out there, you know, there's, um, God, there's, there's so many, um, video on demand sort of platforms that are popping up. Fast right? models it, are blowing up. Yep. Yeah. And, and because people don't want to pay. Right. But they'll sit through a couple ads every episode. Mm-hmm. You yep. know what I mean? Or sit through five minutes at the top of the movie kind of thing. So yeah, I think, I think we are going to get back to that, you know? Yeah. And I think it, I think the economy, the macro economy has a lot to do with it. I think yeah. people are holding a lot of debt. I think those, uh, I think like you have Cardi B on Twitter and TikTok complaining about the cost of bread, I think, or she was complaining about the cost of something that cost $2 last year and it's $9 this year. If right. Cardi B is complaining about groceries, I know. Think how the it's lower middle class, yeah. people, people are, so they're going to start trading their time again for ad. They're going to hate it maybe, but they're going to trade the time for ads because they can no longer trade dollars for their time back. 100%. Yeah. And I think that drives, that's going to drive a lot of it. You look at moving M U B I, they have those two tiers. They have that, uh, believe they have a, an ad based tier and then they have a subscription based tier. You can pay eight bucks and, and they're holding these things over your head. They have, um, the, the great movie decision to leave. Well, you can't watch that anywhere. Even guild members like us, we can't watch. We're not getting screeners for that movie because they're holding it as their bait for the $8. But if you don't want to pay the $8, you can still go to Tubi or their service or other services and watch things as long as you can watch a movie with ads in the middle, which I'm not good at, but you know, that's, but it's going to, you know, yeah, you're, I mean, but that's, but that's, I think it's so interesting that the, better for the filmmakers, nature, the cyclical nature of things, of the economy, of the industry, of yeah. the platforms, of the way we ingest um, anything, you know, I'll, I'll, what, I'll clarify the statement. Now it's better for independent filmmakers just because of the way it, they get paid. Will, yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if we ever get paid, you know, but right. <laughs> and the whole, the whole thing yeah, I mean, there is, you know, you, your ability to get paid happens so early in the process, but I think, and we'll talk about that in this conversation, but I think that's missed on a lot of independent filmmakers um, where you try to get paid, you know, sort of after it's done. But in a lot of cases, you know, unless you made Pulp Fiction, um, you know, yeah. you, maybe you're in a lot of trouble, but there are a lot of great independent films that, that still struggle because um, there wasn't a lot of believers on the front end. And then they became believers after it was done and they saw the work right. and it might be, right. you know, too late, you know, after that. Um, just one quick thought on representation because you, you brought it up in diversity. Yeah. You're right. There's a lot of councils. There's a lot of executives involved. I think where the industry is definitely getting better is behind the camera. So crew and teams, you're seeing a lot of diversity in terms of, um, you know, writers, uh, focused on the Bechtel test. You got, you have all these things yeah. happening on the screen. I think, and I've had opinions about this and you're free to disagree with me. Trust me. It's all good. Yeah. Uh, 
I think that we're still trying to figure out how to make diversity work with story, meaning yeah. uh, maybe you got an injection of something that didn't actually look like reality. It's very diverse, but it turns out there really aren't any friend groups that have an Asian person, a black person, a white person, a, 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 a very masculine man, a very uh, effeminate uh man, uh, uh, a masculine female, someone who's gay and a transgender all in one f- friend group. Like, I don't, right. I don't know if that's reality and I don't know if audiences even relate to it. Uh, they just like, Oh, well, this is, they've checked the boxes. I see they've checked the boxes. So I think they'll, what we're that may be another prediction is that we'll figure out diversity in a way that works for story better in 23. Cause well, it's a, it's a, and, ongoing I would process. Just, and I would just come back to you on this for, for that. Right. You know, we understand that if you don't see it, sometimes you don't go for it. There are people who are born into themselves and they are ready and they're going to plow through and they're going to do whatever it is that they imagine in their minds. A vast majority of the people in the world don't do that. They don't believe something's possible until they see it. So whether or not it's believable, you know, we go and watch Marvel movies all the damn time. So why wouldn't we watch a comedy that has every yeah. color and every type of person in mm-hmm. a friend group? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I would say to that, okay, I'm still going to write that movie because mm-hmm. I believe that that's what we can do. And I believe it's what we have to do. I mean, the, the biggest mistake I think of human beings period is that we have lost the ability to live symbiotically. We can't live symbiotically with the planet. We can't do it with different types than our own. You know, this is our downfall, that the belief that we're separate, the belief that we're other. So if we can start to, as artists, tell stories that bring the other together, bring others into an each other. I have no idea where to go with that, but you know what I'm saying. No, I know exactly what you're saying. If we can show people loving what is other or believed to be other that i mean to me that's where we have to go to me that's what representation is about i mean i don't care that bridgerton is not you know necessarily a true representation of that time in the world i love it anyway you know what i mean and that way bridgerton really is like a marvel movie in that sense yes and that's what we need. It's believable. We've been made to believe so many lies growing up as human beings in this country specifically, right? I mean, there's a special brand of Kool-Aid here, right? So why in the world would we not show children a, or give children a kinder, more inclusive Kool-Aid to drink? That's yeah. my thing. Yeah, and, and I if think you're the a point, and you need to tell the story exactly as it was and how it happened, and you think that's the best way to get into someone's heart and rip it open and fill them with something that they need, fine, do that. You know, but I believe imagination is the key. I mean, Einstein, every every great inventor in the world saw things before they actually existed, and then they brought them into being. So. Why wouldn't we do that the same way as filmmakers? I think the point of the power of film is really important there. 
So yeah. kudos to that's a fair counterpoint, which is the power of film is such that it can create a reality. Sometimes mm-hmm. it does that for, I think in the negative sense, sometimes it can do it for, for good. And as long as we're advocating right. for good, that's, that's wonderful. It's this idea of dystopia, utopia, you know, back and forth dystopia, right. utopia. So we, we look at how native Americans, Russians, Chinese, and black people have been presented in film historically. It's not been very good. Right. right? So right. in turn, you know, white women walk down the alley and they clutch their purse when they see a dark skinned black person about to right. pass them. Right. That film did that in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. Uh, film, film did that. The first film did that. Yeah. The woman swinging. Yeah. The white woman swinging and she'd rather leap off a cliff yeah. than have a black man come near her. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, it's inane. It's insanity. Right. And, and so we, we do know that, that, that the medium is powerful enough to, to retell stories. My, I guess my fear is that in, in the attempt to create a utopia, everyone runs to that, to that outcome. And then you have this oversaturation that, that renders it meaningless versus always just valuing stories. So I guess I would prefer diversification in the storytelling versus in the character. So how about we just tell Dallas Buyers Club type stories? Like that was a great movie. Um, I love the movie Tar. I haven't seen Tar yet. I think it's one of the most important movies I've seen in the last decade. It's oh my God. I, I haven't seen it yet. And I, oh, you um, have to see it. I'm so excited because I mean, well, you saw Oliver. So yeah. that, that living inside the mind of human beings, like knowing what that is. Yeah. That's what fascinates me more than anything in the world. Yeah. It, it's, I think we got to talk after you watch it. I think that, it's okay, going to do something. Yeah. I think it's going to do something to you now. <laughs> oh my God. I, I know it is. I mean, I saw the trailer and I went, yeah, you're... I want to make, you know, it's so rare when you, you know, you see that movie and you're like, I want to make that movie. I want to make, I, you know, and I didn't, and I haven't even seen it yet. You know, oh, so I can't wait. Kate Blanchett too. Just like, oh, she's just, Oh man. Oh just man. She, cause there's, you know, one of the, the, the failures that filmmakers make independent filmmakers, uh, some sometimes are boxed into the, into this decision is they will cast someone who is supposed to be a mastermind at something is supposed to be a genius in their field or beyond genius in their field. But the, the person they cast or were forced to cast into it or could only afford to cast in it just doesn't carry that kind of gravitas. They can't do it. They and can't do it. They I'm really aren't like, that smart in real life. If you can't afford to pay Kate Blanchett, go find the Kate Blanchett that we don't know yet. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the biggest, biggest issues for me that that just the independent filmmakers just get stuck with all the time. You know what I mean? It's like, why? (laughs) You're making this this for $500,000. Why are you going to take two hundred thousand dollars of that and not put it on screen yeah you know just to get somebody who might help it and listen i'm i'm saying this and i am i'm in the the thick of trying to sell my very small psychological (laughs) drama with no marquee you know and you're like 
<laughs> it's hard. I get it. Yeah. It's a trade-off, though. But like, what movie are you making? Yeah. You know. Yeah. And I went out and I made the film that I wrote. I made the film I wanted to make, and I was very lucky to have investors up front and to not worry about that. To have you know partnerships with with um, Recon Productions, and you know they floated us through at the end, and you know it just it, anyway. But yeah, it, that's that's a that's a big one, and it's hard. And maybe with your prediction about the way things are going to go, maybe that'll lessen up um, the pressure to have these big names in these films that can't do the job. Yeah, and that and or or just a, a person who might be your you know uh, someone that you went to film school with that that just doesn't have the gravitas to carry that role. Because right. I think once the audience, meaning intellectually on their own, not even their acting chops, like a good actor still has to be believable in the, in the role. There, there was a movie that came out based on the great book, you know, where the crawdads sing. I think the movie's the same name. Yes. Yeah. And the actress in it is like top tier, wonderful actress, but there's no way that you could have ever gotten into one fight in your life and believe for a second that she, that someone that diminutive could have done the things she was doing in the swamps of North Carolina. She's, she was too petite. I mean, in one of the scenes, she knocks out a muscle bound guy in one right. punch. Like she, she, she Hulk or something. It's like, yeah, that dog doesn't hunt that, that she would have broke her wrist and all of her fingers immediately on his face. And, you know, and, and so and you just, me. so it's, you got to cast the right person. You needed Jennifer Lawrence there. They cost the same well, money probably. Cause mm, this girl's no joke. I mean, she's a, she's in. Oh, a Jay of Jones is one of the greatest. Yeah. And see, and, and here's yeah. what I'll say about that. I loved her performance. Here's where my mind would go. I would rather suspend my disbelief watching her knock that guy out than not <laughs> believe that she could study the yeah. animals in the way that she did. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I That's, did I did believe that. I believed that she could sit for hours yes. and look at the feathers on these ducks and, and wings ducks, on, yeah. you know, on these geese. And yeah, so, I mean, it's, you know. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hate the movie. Uh, I like the book more. Right. That's the typical case though. Well, but of course. Uh, yeah. that's, I, I think that's the point so I'm making. Is that, is, is, that, is that doing that movie? Hold on, hold on. Yeah. In your mind, you saw Jennifer Lawrence playing that character. It would be uh, on screen. It would have worked uh, a lot, lot better just because okay. of, I have an image of, of Jennifer Lawrence in her, in that, in her debut movie um, yes, of Winter's course. Bone. Yeah, and, and she was phenomenal, but she's a different, she's an older, different actress now, you know? So yeah. it's kind of like. Yeah, I, yeah. You, you needed a type like that, is what I, is, is, is what I, I will I, say this you know, to you. So it's, it's the point I'm making is that you shouldn't have to make, like, it's hard. Casting's hard, basically. Yes. It's, it's, of course. And it's worth your attention and your time because as a viewer, you, you don't want to force your audience to make trade-offs like that. Oh, I buy the intellectual part and I'll just, I'll, I'll ignore the physical aspect of this. Um, right. that, that's all. And, and, and in an independent Absolutely. film, I think like to your point about the money, the stakes are even higher in a lot of ways because you might not get to make a second feature film if your first one doesn't work. And then right. on top of that, 
your your pool of possibilities is so so much smaller and so yeah. every decision you make is heightened at the indie level yes. yes in a way yeah no it is well it's 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 um it's so personal yeah even if you're an indie filmmaker and you didn't write the script even if you're an indie filmmaker and you you know are just stepping into it every amount of money matters you know i mean if i yeah. could if this is if we had made bolivar um not during the pandemic yeah i would have been able to shoot for two more days do you know what i mean like wow. that's just that's just the truth of it um and of course i'm an insane person and i had to shoot it on film i had to shoot present day 35 and memories on 16 because I'm a romantic. And to me, film is the way to tell these types of stories because it takes you, the, the human eye sees so many things that compute to us in a way that we can't put into words, you know? Yeah. So I knew this is what I was going to do. I knew this was how I was going to shoot it. But I mean, that on top of all of my health and safety officers and all of the extra time and all of the, PPE and you know everything that we had to do to keep everybody safe I mean it was just you talk about you know being on a budget it's like balling on a budget yikes. yeah you know well let's get so, into let's get into Bolivar because oh, okay. I was curious about some of the things you just talked about and one of my questions was why did you make the decision to shoot on film and I think that's a great answer that you're a romantic and, you know, yes. that softness of image shows up, you know, when you watch it. So and kudos and I want to you, you to be able to see it big because, yeah. you know, watching it on a screen, it's still beautiful. Mm -hmm. But, you, you know, because we, you know, because it goes through a digital process to, in order to be um, edited, you know, it's not like we're projecting it. Right. So, right. but when you blow it up, the way we colored it, um, the, the texture, um, the difference between 35 and 16, um, really speaks to the way we remember things. You know, one of the, one of the, the phrases that I kept thinking of, or one of the quotes I kept thinking of was from William Carlos Williams, who's a poet that I love. Mm. And in one of the poems, and I'm going to totally butcher this, but basically the idea is the white is never as white as the white remembered. Mm. Right. So our, our memories, our perceptions, all of these things, the way we see color, the way we, you know, feel the world inform our memories. So Maggie's character remembering all these things, they're softer they're not so edged. They're warmer, right? And she's living in a world that has a lot of sharp edges and it's cold and it's lonely and she's isolated, you know, like she's, you know, there's a lot of wave imagery and the way that, that I edited in the memories, you know, feels kind of like trying to gasp for air, just like come up from this grief, come up from this memory, come up from, from whatever is keeping her from the present. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I thought, I don't know. I, Steve Bellamy at Kodak, I met years ago. Um, and 
when I had shot my first project on film, this is like almost five years ago now. And, um, and he talked about the, the slope of a cheek. Mm. Right? And when you shoot something that is curved that way, that's not a true circle. It's not this or that or whatever. It's just, it's very much an organic curve. When you're trying to do that with a, with a, square upon square upon square upon square upon square, you know, we're capable of seeing things and ingesting things emotionally that we wouldn't be able to say or quantify mm-hmm. like on the page. But yeah. you know, you're, you're shooting on film grain. It's never going to be the same. I don't care if the light is the same. You've got the lights going, everything, anything that shifts in the room, the next the next shot will be different. The next take will right. be different. It will feel different. Just And that's life. And it's more ephemeral, you know, and it sort of, it adds in another variable to shooting, um, which I find exciting. So anyway. Yeah. And you, you mentioned the coloring. Uh, yes. And, and the challenges probably had with that knowing that every scene's a little different. I mean, obviously you can do some copy paste of edit styles and colors, but, um, but it did, it added, it, it, it added, um, it's, it was like watching a movie on the way you would listen to music on vinyl oh, love where, you. where yeah. you're sort of appreciating the crackle of the vinyl and not saying, you know, get that out of there, you know? So right. you kind of want that, that, that feeling. Um, I really related to the film a lot. I, I know your mom passed in 2011, your dad passed recently as well, just I believe last year. And, um, my dad's still with me, but, my, but I lost my mom in 2007 That's and so right sad. around the same age as, as your mom, my mom was almost 61. I think your mom was 62 or almost 62. Yeah. And, and so the movie struck a chord with me. I mean, the, the through line is, is, is grief. I kind of had the tone uh, of Manchester by the sea to me a little bit. Uh, so that, so just to give the audience a sense of kind of that pacing and the, and the feel they're going to get from this. I told a quote that I wanted to ask you about just sort of based on um, the theme of this, this, this movie and what you remember about being young, growing up in your household, uh, you were quoted as saying, when I was little, I would pretend to run away to teach my parents a lesson. <laughs> what, what, what was that about? And, and how were you, yeah, were you teaching them a lesson in your retrospective mind or in the moment, did you kind of know that you wanted a certain type of attention and, um, a certain type you know, of maybe that's such an interesting, um, I knew I was, well, the way my mom punished us was to exclude us. Right. Mm. So if we behaved badly, we had to go sit on the stairs and we weren't allowed to play and do things or whatever. Right. Um, so I think obviously I learned that. So when I say, um, to, you know, what did I say to teach them a lesson? To teach them a lesson. Yeah. You'd you'd pretend to Uh, run away to teach them a lesson. I mean, I think I was punishing them for whatever reason, you know? Um, yeah, it was punishment. I was going to remove myself 
they were no longer allowed to be around <laughs> me and I was going to leave. Um, and I, you know, I would like, you know, I would, um, I would walk, I would, you know, walk to the end of the road, see if anybody was looking, come back and like slide into the front seat of the suburban and like take a nap or something. Um, yeah. uh, but yeah, it was, it was, um, it was obvious when I got irritated with them, when somebody wasn't listening to me, or I thought that, you know, my brother and sister were, you know, not doing right by me or whatever. If, if I felt there was some injustice going on, I would just remove myself from the situation. Yeah. Um, and what's really interesting. Oh God, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say this out loud. That's how I've been in a lot of my relationships, hmm. you know, is that I just kind of, I'm gone. I don't fight about it. I don't, I'm like, I've given you every opportunity to do whatever. And now I'm, I'm going to go now. (laughs) It's weird, but that, you know, that's what timeout does moms and dads out there in the world. Just know you're, you know, you're, this is, this is, I I am. I relate relate to that. I relate to that. I relate to that very much. I, I'm so, you know, anti-drama that, you know, every person that I dated just at the first sight of any type of, uh, abnormality in their personality, in my opinion, it would leave me running Pick up for your the shoes, door. Get your stuff and yeah. Out. yeah. And it's not until you get older do you re- that you realize that maybe you have the abnormality in your personality 100%. that, 100%. and, and maybe it's a, aware or, or it's a combo time. platter. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, um, I was very Seinfeldy in that way. It was like, uh, what is you know boomerang. man hands i'm out of here you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you remember boomerang? what was that you fully look at the toes oh yeah yeah okay. i mean do you remember yeah you i mean paying it paying attention to all these things that that aren't shouldn't matter i mean if you're talking about sort of glaring things in relationship no i'm talking about like i would stay in it and i would try and i would try and i would try and i would try oh try. so you would try and like have, and I'd have, but I'd have kind of my own dialogue going. Mm-hmm. And I think that I was being clear about what I needed or what I wanted. Oh, but I mean, I, I mean, I think I'm, listen, <laughs> I'm pretty transparent. No, I mean, we've known yeah, each other absolutely. for yeah. like an hour, I, yeah. you know, pretty transparent. Right. Yeah. So, um, but you know, it gets to a point and I think, I think one of the things about that is that I witnessed my mom and dad 27 years, you know, they, they should have, they should have called it when we were little. I think it would have saved a lot of, a lot of extra trauma and like horror film type memories, you know, where you're just like, Oh my God, is this happening? Um, but yeah, that that is that is hysterical i love that you did you run away as a kid like what drew you to that quote and also where did you find it when did i say that in what interview where full full props to uh our crack research team uh here at the make it podcast it's where we find all sorts of little nuggets and oh my god and fun things to ask about did you find well, we can't wow. tell you that. That's I'd have to kill you. But <laughs> but but I'm but, speaking but, over here. But I no, I I relate to it. I relate to it even creatively. I I I, I you talked about you know William Carlos Williams. I, you know I I love Rainier Rilke, 
And, oh, yeah, for and, sure. you know, he just talks about not torturing people with, with things they can't understand. Yeah. You know, and I've, it took me a while to get there to understand that, like, it'll do you, like, I broke up with a girl one time because she failed to laugh at something that was objectively funny. And wow. I only, only later I realized that, that was like a, a microcosm of sort of the frustration I felt trying to explain something in the world of art and creativity to someone who just doesn't live in that world. Right. And you torture people with it. You're torturing them because they can't get where you're going. They can't get what you see. They don't see what right. you have in your head. They don't right. get the nuance of this, that, or the other. And right. just go do it. Yeah. And, 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 and they can't go where you're going. And, yeah. and, and when you said, I just, I'm, I'm just gone. It reminded me of that. So it's like, yeah, because at some point you realize mm, they can't, they can't go where I'm going. And the mistake is what you talked about with your parents, which is the, the torturing each other with right the belaboring of the obvious. It's like, no, like it's obvious. You can't go where I'm going and you can't go where I'm going. We should probably. Well, and I think, you know, what's so interesting bringing this up. God, I love it. I love this. Um, When you spend your entire life excavating internally Mm -hmm. and also, you know, I, I was the most observant child. I still am the most observant person. I mean, and obviously that comes out of like being the child of an alcoholic and, you know, being in a state of fight or flight all the time, trying to figure out like, what was the day going to be? You know, what, what all of that. Um, I, um, I think it's really interesting um, with people in my life. They have to be able to meet me at the top of my joy. And they also have to be able to meet me at the bottom of my sorrow. And that's a very tall order, mm, yeah. you know? Um, um and I think, I think that there have been people in my life who could meet me in certain places, but they couldn't do the whole thing. And, um, and it doesn't mean I don't love them. I just, it right. wasn't going to be like something I would fight for, for the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure that you kind of figured that out being that you have all these beautiful children and your wife. Yeah. I, it's you a, obviously it's a, found somebody who met you where you needed to be met. It's a, it's a struggle. Of course, and, but it's all a struggle, and, but it's like, what but, it's, are you but it's worth for? it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, and it works out and this is going to sound like the tangent of all tangents, which you may love actually now, you know, the I reason, will. you know why I love Dolly Parton's version of, I will always love you as much as Whitney Houston's it's because in Dolly's version, you listen to the words and in Whitney's yeah. version, you listen to the voice more because yeah. her voice is so unbelievable. Yes. And, um, I just, I want to dance with somebody's awesome, by the way. I just watched it last night. Oh anyway, God, I can't wait. Yeah, it's, it's good. And, but Dolly's version, you realize the lyrics are exactly what we're talking about. It's like, I'll always yeah. love you. I will hope you find the right person. I hope yeah. you have a great life. I have to go this place that you can't even envision you can't envision and i'm not going to torture you with all the ways i'm going to succeed or all the ways i'm going to create or all the ways it's right for me instead i'll just leave you this little note that says basically it's not you it's me yeah and and i would even i'm going to take this and i'm going to go on to 
telling a story, writing a script, playing a character, mm. right? Yeah. And all of these things about finding out what you're going to fight for and how you're going to fight for it and what you love and what you don't love and what makes sense to you and what your perspective is, your real perspective in the world. What do you see? How do you see the world? And how can you share it? That's the job of an artist. It's the job of a human being, right? So um, I, I love that. And yes, I mean, Dolly wrote that. And she, you know, she she felt that. You know, and it, it was such a beautiful song. It got added into the movie of Best Little Whorehouse in Texas, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, it's a musical theater song in this film. Yeah. The stage production never had that. So, you know, it's just, it's a, it's really interesting what truth, um, what, what a, what a real experience in art does for mm. people, right? Yeah. Um you know, that was kind of the, you know, one of the reasons in the casting and playing Maggie in this movie was that I wrote myself into this role and it would have been unfair to cast another actress. And I know so many brilliant actresses who could have done something so beautiful with this part, but it wouldn't have been what I wanted to share with the world specifically. Well, this was incredibly personal. And you got the sense that even though the Maggie character was having flashbacks of warm moments with her brother and her mom, you got the sense throughout that, that that was, that those memories may not have been spot on accurate in that, in that there's a reason why the brother has an addiction and I thought you 100%. had really beautiful direction and, um, and cinematography, uh, one scene well, I remember Julia's specifically, genius. yeah, where I think the, um, the mother, uh, and I'm forgetting the, the wonderful actress that played, uh, Christine or my, or Hannah, my sister, the uh, young mom or the, uh, this was the, I think the older mom. Yeah. And she was talking about coffee being a ritual. Oh yeah. That the flashback mom. That's my little sister. Yeah. Your little sister. Okay. Your little sister. And we'll talk about your family being in this movie, but (laughs) so the mom, and just to, just to give a sense for the audience, the mom's pouring coffee into these mugs and she's going to share a little bit of coffee. It looks like she's maybe mixed in some sugar and cream. So it would taste good and giving the, you know, her children, young children glasses uh, or mugs of coffee and says, Hey, don't tell dad. And then the cutaway is immediately to, uh, present day Maggie pouring whiskey into a coffee mug and, and not making the indie film or amateur mistake of, of having the same amount of whiskey in the bottle as the previous shot. We can see that this thing is going down. She's drinking a lot. And, um, and it gives you that sense that, okay, that that's a warm memory, but there was a lot more there, uh, that, She's our characters choosing not to remember. Um, It's so interesting that you're picking up on that scene because, you know, I I lost my dad after the film was um, locked. Right. And I showed it to him. He was in the hospital, you know, and I wanted him to see it. And he had to stop watching it at that point because it just brought up too much stuff for him. 
And he said, Nellie, it's beautiful. It's brilliant. You're wonderful. This is wonderful, but I, I can't watch it. So he only saw half of it. Yeah. I, I, I could, I could imagine. I, part of me wishes that he would have finished it because that last scene, I know. Um, kisses you right, right, right on the heart. And it, um, yeah. it, it, it brings the, the whole thing home. Do you think, uh, your mom's somewhere listening to this, that, that she feels like you're, uh, I think they both you know, are. honoring her legacy. Yeah. And she mean, was an actress and a performer dream. and she expected you guys to her, work together. Yeah. Her dream was that we would make, we would make these movies together that we, you know, she had all these, you know, one of these days, hopefully I'll get to write this movie that she always wanted to write called trenches, Trenches. which is just like, you know, it was like a national lampoon version of our life. You know I mean? Like losing money and moving to our blueberry farm and you know, all the stuff. So, um, one of these days, I hope I, I get to do right by her and cast all of us in it. And, you know, we, we make the next Christmas vacation, but she did, she dreamt of this, you know, I can remember her pouring sugar mm-hmm. for us on our rice Krispies. Um, and, uh, all sitting there eating, you know, breakfast and she's saying, well, and then, and we'll do this and we'll do this and we'll all do this and we'll make movies oh, wow. together. Yeah. At that point it was like, we were, struggling so much that I remember vividly leaving groceries in the grocery store because the check wouldn't go through, Mm. you know? I mean, so it was like, you know, it was real at that point. My dad had made a lot of money, lost a lot of money in 87 when the market crashed. Market crashed. Black Monday. Yeah. We moved out to this land that we had in Huntsville, Texas. Um, which is really where my creative, my imagination, creativity started to grow or in these woods, we had 180 acres and we turned it into, my dad turned it into the fourth largest blueberry farm. Um, but it was a struggle on both ends. And then, and then when, you know, Florida and South America got the technology of how to grow blueberries, you know, in sandy soil year round, dad was done. And then he had to kind of tuck his tail between his legs and go back to, uh, the business side of things, um, you know, but it was, it was, it was a lot. I think I just answered a, a question and in interview about my childhood. And I, I said, it was kind of like being in a car and someone like just going a million miles an hour and throwing the steering wheel out the window, you know, or a roller coaster with no seatbelts, you know, it was just kind of like, hold on. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's like a Phoebe yeah. Bridger song. Oh, yeah. love Phoebe Bridgers. <laughs> one of my, one of my young women who I lovingly call my firstborn, I started nannying her when she was like eight. She oh, wow. Yeah. She's, you know how crazy that is that I would bring her up and you would say that? The universe. I know. I know. Either I know. that or the world's just truly a small place, like six degrees well, of separation. Well, I think it seems like you and I have been traveling tear. the same circle of people. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, you know gravitational pull. I think if you're sort of, if you have a similar density of your soul, we're all going to sort of wind up in the same place. That's fascinating. That's a fascinating idea. I just wrote that in my journal the other day. I was like, Hmm, wonder if you could quantify the density of a soul or consciousness. 
which I think is maybe soul. that's the 21 grams you lose when you die. I don't you know. Maybe it's it's the what I'm of, saying. Maybe, it's maybe the some people have more than 21 grams. I don't know. Yeah, it could it it could be. I have some thoughts thing. about that, and that would take us. It would take us. Well, down that would a, take oh, us into like two hours of a. Oh, know, four or six. Seven, <laughs> eight, go to the fourth layer. We did well. We did mention, by the way, at the beginning, at the top of this conversation, that you were all these things. You know, director, writer, actor, producer, you name it. But you, I don't know if we specified that you did all three of these things on and all four of those or things all four on. of those things on Bolivar. So what are, I had a friend that did this on a short film and it almost killed him. How did you do this on a feature film and still have that smile across your face? What, what were the biggest challenges? Well, here's the thing, you know, every I, so my, my manager, my agent, you know, everybody, I, I came right out of the gun directing. Um, once I, once I realized it was my thing Yeah. and it didn't happen until after my mom died, which is really interesting because I think I was always an extension of her because she didn't kind of finish the job for herself. I tried to be that. Um, but you might've felt guilty taking yeah, her dream to, while she you know, still had the dream. If yeah. I was talented, it meant she was, if I was loved, it meant she was, if, I was successful. It meant she was, um, yeah. or could have been or whatever. Um, and when she passed away, I just had all of this space. Um, and that's when directing, I say found me because an ex-boyfriend of mine introduced me to somebody who had a one woman show and I ended up directing that. And then we shot this little thing to go along with it. And, uh, yeah. And it, and it all came out of that and I fell in love with it because it's what I loved growing up, it was like, I got to do it all. You know, it was like the living room of my six-year-old self, but adult, you know, yeah, choreographing yeah, yeah. the dances, inviting the old women <laughs> in the neighborhood, mom making the, you know, popcorn and then La Bonita turning on and we're coming out and performing for all these people. And I'm the one who put it all together. That's what directing feels like to me. So, um, so on this, it was the first time that I felt like all of my energy had been properly tapped. Um, you wow. know, and I also had time. That's a cool perspective. Yeah. I also had time because of the pandemic. I'd never had time to sit down and make my feature. So I had directed at that point over a hundred projects, but no feature. And so, you know, producers and people wouldn't take me seriously as a director because I was a woman who had been an actress who, you know, had only done these short form things. So I couldn't possibly, you know, have the skill set even though when you jump from one short film to the next short film, to the next short film, to the next short film, that's like a marathon. And I did that for six years. You know, I directed everybody's short film. Right. I didn't direct anything of my own after the first three films that I did in this, in this um, film school that I enrolled or this, I guess, intensive, this three month intensive that I enrolled in. I had not directed anything of my own since then. Um, so, so yeah, it was, the pandemic happened right as I finished. I think I finished the script on March 15th. It took me three weeks to write it. Wow. I had been at Mammoth um, Film Festival. I had two shorts competing against each other, which was super fun. Yeah. Um, and um, I'd, I'd had this idea for this film um, based on, an, on like 
a twist that I'd come up with with a friend of mine years and years ago, which is completely different than this film. But I went home and I sat down and I just wrote it. Um, and then I, I said, okay, I sent it to my producing partner and he said, let's make this one first. And so we did. And it all happened within a year from start to finish, like from writing the script March 15th. And then we had a locked cut March 15th of the next year. And it was the pandemic and I couldn't do anything else. So I just planned Julia and I sat in my backyard and planned the psychology of, of the, of the shots and the frames and what we were going to see and what we weren't going to see and why it was important. And, you know, so I had all of the time in the world to build this character. So I finished the script on March 15th and then it was like a year from, from March 15th of 2020 to March 15th of 2021. That was the time to get a locked film. But because of all of those months where I just sat at home, I was in the backyard with Julia, my DP, and we're planning these shots and the psychology of the frames, what we see and what we don't see and why that's important. And I don't want to give away the film to anybody watching this because it will be on a platform soon at some point. And I want everybody to watch it. But if you go back for you and think about what you see when I'm in frame and what you see when I'm not in frame, you know, those were all carefully crafted. So for the first time in my life, I had time to do that. And I felt after directing, especially with Julia, we'd done like 50 projects together or something. So I trusted her eye. I mean, she knows what I like. I'm, I'm, I'm very hands-on. You know, she had to tell me early on in our career that I wasn't allowed to like pull on her. <laughs> sure. I'm not kidding. Yeah. Yeah, what yeah. a jerk, you know? And, you know, so she taught me how to not be just the most unbelievable control freak mm-hmm. as a director, but like to trust that the people that I'm hiring, the people that are with me, there are my collaborators and this is what we're going to do. So I felt, I felt so supported and I knew this story inside and out. And, um, and so that was, it was really fun. It was yeah. really special and it was really, really fun. And there were nights where I just completely lost it. I mean, in some of those super emotional scenes, um, when she finally breaks down at the end, I had no tears left and I've never experienced that in my life. I just couldn't cry anymore. And I, in one of the scenes, I'm like, Julia, do we have it? Because if we don't have it, we're not getting it. Yeah. I'm, done. <laughs> I'm dry. Like I can't do it again. Yeah. Uh, so, it's yeah. yeah. Bring, bring out the, uh, smelling salts or something and get your eyes watering. You know. I mean, and that doesn't even work. Cause then you start drying out from like, you know, it's like, give her something under the, get in your eye and and your screen, your face. doesn't work. If it's not there. And that was sort of my litmus test for, for directing myself. I was like, if I don't feel it, the audience won't feel the it. The audience won't feel it. Yeah. So if I, I think didn't it's feel a great, it, I think it's a great point too. It's a, it's putting your taste on the witness stand. It's saying, if I don't, if, if I think it's interesting, someone else will think it's interesting. I, I say it the opposite way, but it's the same meaning of, of what you just said. You know, when, when I create something or even with this podcast, I'll say, if I found this interesting, someone else will. Yeah. And that's the, that's the sort of prayer. That's the hope. And then if not enough people find it interesting, then you've been given a real world 
litmus test on on your taste and what you find entertaining and and not you mentioned having your sister in this film but you had your brother and two nieces and a nephew in the movie as well what are the pluses and minuses of directing that many family members (laughs) well y'all i mean you know my brother my sister my nieces and a nephew everybody's a little director in their own right um, so when we were shooting, <laughs> I was dying laughing, dying laughing when we were editing and we get the sound back because you hear, I'm like, okay, everybody, we're going to go for this take Hannah, make sure, you know, why it's on your left, blah, blah, blah. And this, that, and the other, we're going to, okay. Right. And so before we go, I'm hearing, you know, before I, I roll the sound would roll before we right, roll before sound rolls yeah. or sound speeds. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So um, I hear Wyatt, listen, when this happens, da 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 from Hannah to Wyatt. And then I hear Mimi, you know, in other scenes saying, Nana, that's what they call Hannah. Nana, you're supposed to be over here. Like you're not, you know, so yeah. everybody's directing themselves <laughs> and you're just like, wow, wow. My brother, a dream, a dream yeah. to direct. They're all a dream to direct, but, but, you know, just ready to go yeah Nelly okay cool let's do it you know he's like the rest of them are like are you sure what should we do are we wanna and I'm like uh-huh I'm sure raise your hand up a little higher we need to see the hermit crab you know but is it is it the advantage of having family in your movie the ability to push them really far and not lose face or faith or love well I mean I will say this I am so lucky to have such a soulful family Mm -hmm. that I didn't have to do anything, you know, and we all look so much alike that it, it's so beautiful with the way we cut back and forth. You know, my niece Mimi and I, you know, we have the same cheekbones, we have the same coloring, we have the same. So, you know, what, what is really interesting, which I don't know if you noticed, but the flashback family has brown eyes, Mm -hmm. all of them. And the present day family has blue eyes, all of us. Well, I'm blue green, but, and we were talking about, do we fix this? Do we not fix this? And I said, no, we don't fix it because it's so interesting about memory. Yeah. Like the fact that they all have brown eyes and that we all have blue eyes. I loved that. I thought it was such a wild, wonderful thing that there was this set, this I don't know. Cause everything else was so similar. We all looked so much alike that, you know, I just thought it was really kind of interesting. I loved it. It, it had to hit me subconsciously, but I didn't consciously notice it and it might've improved or, or helped me understand that we're looking at a flashback just because yeah, there were exactly. those subtle differences that maybe like my brain recognized we, like the way we colored it. Yeah. Yeah. Subconsciously, but not, but not consciously. Yeah. It's like th- these people are a unit, but this unit of the same people are very different people. Yeah. After this life lived, you know, and exactly. I, just, I loved it. I'm not giving anything away, but is there, I'm, I am curious, is there a version of this that you wrote a version of the script without a twist? No, um, no, I, I envisioned her, you know, 
there are so many ways that grief hits us. And um, I think in one of the conversations that I've had about this film, I called it like brain damage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but there's, 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 a, you, you lose, oh God. And was it Joan Didion, the year of magical thinking? I mean, you lose reality a little bit because your reality changes so drastically. Yeah. Certainly when you lose a parent or, or, a, or a spouse or God forbid a child, you know what I mean? Like there is, there's a shift. So it was always, that was always kind of the crux of this. That's I where the, I started. I think that's, I, that, that's totally fine. And, and it makes sense to me because, well, I'll say two things. One, it occurred to me that the movie worked whether you had a twist or not, which is a testament to the story telling to its foundations, to its bones, if you will. Right. The second thing about grief is, is so true where it makes sense to have the twist because this is how Maggie's experiencing grief and how she's dealing with it. For me, for example, when my mom died, uh, I had a little bit of guilt in that grief. So grief guilt, because I wasn't crying as much as everyone else around me, my siblings, my dad, et cetera. And I think looking back on it, a big part of that was, I needed space to assess uh, the grief. Of course. So because there was so much going on, people asking my condolences, you know, nonstop, you never have space to quantify what you just lost. Yeah. Yeah. And it took, and so, and so once I got space, I cried my eyes out. Yeah. I mean, it's, think about the scene with me and Alex Dessert with Maggie and her ex. And he's like, why are you so cold? Yeah. You don't have to be so cold. And she says, if I let any of this in, it's going to swallow me up. Yeah. Yep. So and there's like this, you know, and she was, she had a very insular experience and the only person she wanted to deal with the, she wanted to deal with it with was her father. And he had built his own wall because they are mirror images of each other. Mm-hmm. They're the survivors, which is a very lonely experience. To yep. survive things, you know, and, and I will say this, oh gosh, I don't want to give anything away. Think about this. I split my actual mother into two characters. Yeah. Right. Yep. So there's this, there's a loss that happens with people when they're still on the planet. And then there's a loss of their body. And, and that's very interesting for me, you know? Yep. Because I lost my mother when I was 12, but I didn't lose her until I was 29 physically from the world. Yep. So there's, you know, yeah, there's, there's so much psychology in this, in this film, um, you know, crafted like a painting, mm-hmm. crafted like a poem, you know? Um, but my God, did, did, did I get specific with it? And yeah. with what's in the frame and not in the frame, not in the frame and the light and the way we should, you know, thank God for well, Julius Wayne. Yeah. And I'd love to, to turn to the technical on this because yeah. the way the movie sounds and feels oh. are so important to how yeah. well it turned out in my opinion, which, and so for the filmmaking audience out there, what camera did you and Julius shoot on? We, we shot on, uh, blah, 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 blah. God, I believe we shot on the, we shot on the Ari flex. So we were, you know, 
Why, we why? had both a 35 and a 16 millimeter, um, you know, Ari, Ari. Yeah. Certain was there a decision though, the like, like, like specifically that camera over another? And if so, why? I left that up to Julia. I knew what I wanted it to look like. Um, we had m- many discussions about what it would look like. Um, but, but that aspect of it was very much up to her, like what camera we would use. Um, we talked a lot about, you know, the glass is really the important part, the lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, and we shot, we shot on beautiful prime lenses. We didn't, um, we didn't shoot at anamorphic, um, you know, we just, we wanted, I think the way that I end up shooting most of my stuff, filming most of my stuff is pretty simple. Yeah. Um, not simple in a sense that I am not conveying, you know, visceral messages to the audience through what I'm showing, but I'm not doing loop-de-loops and things like that. You know, I'm very straightforward. I'm very transparent, very honest in my storytelling. And I will say that sometimes I think, am I too simple? Am I not interesting? Am I, you know, should I be, you know, rigging this to the ceiling and, you know, creating all these different wild upside down, you know, wonders. And then I think, but that's not who I am in the world. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty straightforward, transparent person. Um, And I think some of the things that I say or am able to say, so easily can be the, that's the show, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think my films are that way. I love um, it because at least, you know, when you try to step outside and be uh, inauthentic for the sake of you, it's like becoming a slave to the audience. It's what you see a lot of creators do on social media, right? They'll let out right. 10 videos. One of them will be, uh, you know, in a bikini that one will get the most likes and comments. So now you've right. got a feedback loop where it's like, as long as I take my clothes off, I mean, I'm getting engagement. And right. then you, right. and then you check six months later and the entire profile is bikinis. And then that no longer feeds the beast the way it used to. And so you right. check back one year later and it's completely nude. And then you yeah. check back a year later and, and they've been taken off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the reality is when you first started following this person, they were reading poetry to you. So it's like, wow, like, like now you really became a slave to your audience. Like, like, and you're not, you're like, not even who you are. You're like, you're some other thing that they wanted and, and, and you threw yourself away in that. So there's a way to like grow into the bikini, I guess, while bringing the poetry with you, the person you wanted to show the world in the first place. So it's, yeah, it's interesting maybe. that you say that. Yeah. And I, and I think it's also like, you know, whatever story, you know, I'm going to service the story, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, I, uh, what's going to be best for the story that I'm telling. Do but I in your way. Show? Yeah. But in my way. You're right. right. And the that's, thing you want to do is show the human condition. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm, you know, all of my, like everything that I, um, God, like when I think about silence of the lambs, Oh, one of my favorites, one of my favorites too. I think it's one of the reasons I became like, when I found out I was a filmmaker, I kept going back to that, like the opening sequence and everything we learn about Mm -hmm. this character while the credits are rolling, 
you know, we're running with her. We're seeing the way people react to her. We're seeing the way men react to her. We're seeing where she's going, how she's, you know, and then we see the world and we know who she is and the camera movement. She's got so much ahead of her, but the camera keeps falling to the back. There's more behind her. I mean, it's just brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. And then she's out there by herself and she's running this by herself and she's running from us as often as she's running towards us, you know? And I, I think about that all the time. And I, I taught for a long time in the summer at Harvard Westlake, uh, making the short. And, you know, I would, I would use things like that. The opening sequences of things of jaws of, of silence of the lambs of, um, finding Nemo and switching out music and, you know, and just, I mean, jaws and finding Nemo, that's such a fun swap. Like if you do the jaws music on anyway, well, it's, it's the next thing I want to talk about because all of a sudden Nemo would become a different kind of movie just based on the score alone. Just based on the score. You shot this thing in COVID that meant a compromise on scoring. Probably. How did you score? Well, the score was awesome. Yeah, How did you so get such a great score? out of this and during COVID. So Philip Shepard is a dear friend of my producing partner, Jerry Cope. And Philip is a, a cellist of the first degree. I mean, he is unbelievable. He does a lot of the Max Richter scores and um, you know, just, he's such a beautiful composer. Go listen to him. Philip Shepard, you can find him on Spotify. You can find him everywhere. He's, he's really phenomenal. Um, I sent him the script and we had a conversation and he said, Nell, I I really want to start composing ideas from the script just from having read it. And I thought I've never had that. That would be amazing. Please do that. And Mesa Pullman did the same thing for me with the original song um, tides roll in, um, which plays during the beach sequence. She wrote that based on the script and so I had this music to create my shots to based on how these beautiful people who are experts in their own right on, on, you know, the human condition as it applies to sound, um, send me this music that I got to live in and, mm. and float in and swim in. And then once he saw the visuals we tweaked things and he wrote more stuff and we figured out where things would go. And, you know, everything was but just to be clear, you're in LA. He's in England. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Oh, so it, it was, I mean the whole, and, and Noah and I had to edit the whole film like this on zoom. <laughs> wow. And it was horrific. It was <laughs> Like, you know, my dad was sick. My dad was so sick that yeah. I'm like home in Houston. There's like a big freeze and things are going out and there's no, um, you know, there's like, Oh my God. And you're just like, okay, okay. All right. We've got, all right. We have this sequence. Now, you know, once we got the beach sort of going, that editing part was just, you know, and then we'd try some music and send it to Philip and say, Philip, what do you think of the sequence with this music? And he'd go, well, let me do this. And he'd send stuff back. So it just, you know, it was, uh, it's doable. It's doable. It was hard. And the scores is, had this fascinating, fascinating effect of making the beach a character. 
yes, the score made be. the beach a character in this, yeah. in this movie. And if you yeah. don't have that score, then the beach is just the background. And um, it, it made a huge difference. So, so kudos. Uh, oh, God, I'm entire, so glad you that way. The, I, I did, too. I really, I mean, the score is a character. The score and is. Like, like, you know, the music. But again, going back to this, like, soul consciousness thing, you know, we're frequency. Thoughts are frequency. Thoughts are melodies. And um, Philip and I talked a lot about that. And it's just, it's, you know, we're all, like, we're just out here in the middle of infinity spinning, you know, and, um, and it breathes life into it in a way that, um, like I'm sitting here in my, in my brother's kitchen right now. And we've got Jackie Robinson, the fish down here. And I'm listening to, to his, you know, filter and the ice makers going and, you know, my dog is sleeping over here and I can hear in the distance, like people doing yards and, you know, it's like, this is my brother's home. This is the score of my brother's, of your home. brother's home. Wow. That's a great yeah. way to put it. I'm going to write that down. Uh, that's good. I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, since we do have a branding and marketing company for independent film, what is your branding and marketing approach for this film? I know it doesn't have distribution yet. What are you guys yeah. going to do? What's the big strategy? Is there well, one? You know, it's tricky because on paper, it's the story of a sad white woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's a story of a woman. It's fine. No, but I'm just saying like, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, until you really dig into it and watch mm-hmm. it, you don't realize that it sort of surpasses woman, man, anything that right. it's, it's really the story of the human, the human experience. Story. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but when you're, when you are programming for a festival, when you're programming for anything, you know, we didn't, we didn't really get a lot of love. Um, oh, wow. and I, and I will say this, I didn't do the outreach on the festival circuit that I should have done, but my dad was dying. So it right. was, you know, kind of unfortunately became a second, uh, prior, you know, fell, fell down on the priority scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we were able to do because of our investors um, well, because the opportunity presented itself, I should say, I met Lori Copeland from the rap magazine yeah, yeah. and she and I got to talking and she watched the trailer and she said, I have to watch this movie. And I said, okay. And so I sent her the film and she called me and she said, I love this. She said, I'm going to talk to Sharon. And I think we, you know, we don't really do independent films ever, but I, we need to do this. Let's do this. Um, oh, let's do a shout out to Lori. Yeah. She, I mean, Lori's amazing. She's such a champion of, of mine now. And, you know, and that's how, that, that's how things happen in this industry. Anyway, um, you know, you never know who you're going to meet. So right. go to those, <laughs> go to the produced by conferences, go to the filmmaking conferences, go to the film festivals. Even if you don't think it's worth it, you never know who you're going to meet. And this, this industry is all about relationships. Money and relationships. Nobody knows they can trust 
you until they've known you for 10 years. That's why it takes so long. You know what I mean? It's like, you have to build these things. People have to know who you are again and again and again, be accountable, show up on time, do your job, finish the job, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, so Lori, Lori and I, um, got to talking about it and, uh, and we were able to part, we were able to make the partnership happen and, and it was amazing, you know, and we got, we got a lot of great press and, um, Eileen, my, my publicist, um, you know, helped bring a bunch of things together and, and it was magnificent. And we were actually the largest RSVP that they'd ever had for any of their screenings. So we had 760 something RSVPs. Wow. And like 400 people in the audience. And it was, it was their biggest to date and they'd never done an independent. And I, and I think that now has opened up the door that the rap, you know, may start extending a different thing to independent filmmakers um, because yeah. that was a big deal. And that was very helpful. And, you know, right now we're just, yeah, I've got the team at recon and we're working on kind of figuring out where we're going to go and, um, how we're going to do this. So that's all up in the air, but I'm really hoping to have this placed somewhere, you know, late spring, early summer. Well, I think that's great. And I would love for, uh, you to hit me up, uh, have, uh, Lisha or Alicia hit me up (laughs) and and we can talk about, I'd love to hear the journey. And, uh, again, shout out to the, to the rap. I watched the, entire interview it was really wonderful and oh my god and was steve super pond. engaged was, i mean yeah like what a dream you know yeah. steve pond stopped interviewing the academy nominees and came and interviewed us interviewed you guys exactly <laughs> yep. you know i was like yeah it was it was a very special evening and then robert we were able pond to was hilarious <laughs> robert pond is always hilarious he is my movie dad forever yeah. um yeah. he's adopted me we just were talking on the phone he called me and he goes where have you been and I was like, I've been traveling, you know? And so we're, he's just, what a gift. Yeah. And he and my dad got to FaceTime a lot during the process, which was special before we shot. Yep. I, I would encourage everyone in this audience to go to the and then just type in either Bolivar or uh, Neil Tier. Either one, the video will come up. It's a very short 25 minute, 26 minute watch, easy to watch. Um, my advice for the rap.com is to give us a little bit less of the pop-ups. It, you, you make it so hard on us to watch the stuff we want to watch, like, like Nell <laughs> talking in this interview along with her, her team. So uh, the ad on the video, I'm good with, I can live with that. But the, by the time you get to the third or fourth pop-up, it's like, come on. You got you to gotta let me watch this. Hit me with the pop-up after or something like that. Um, what are the two best pieces of advice you've received in your career so far? And who did they come from? Man. Well, my dad said something to me, God, years ago. Mm. Um, and, and I was flipping out and, you know, I, I mean, I had a very circuitous route to here, you know, I, I was a theater performer my whole life. I went to NYU. I 
you know, got hired out of school to do Memphis and, um, you know, had a lot of early success, got pocketed at William Morris, had this whole thing, da, 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 then started playing house with this man that I eventually married and that marriage fell apart. And um, I had sort of lost myself by the age of 28 um, and was working in a basement in Times Square selling catering. Mm. <laughs> hating my life <laughs> um and uh met wonderful people though obviously along the way and mm-hmm. fell in love with so many people at that time but it just was wrong you know for me um and then I got divorced and moved out to LA and I just remember when I was in the midst of all that and I was crying and I was looking at my dad and I was like I just I mean I'm done right I'm almost 30 I haven't done anything I'm done and and he said, Nelly, you can never fail if you continue to try. Hmm. Right. So failure to me, you know, you have to shift and bob and weave out of the way of failure. Um, hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you are still passionate and becoming passionate about something else is not failing. Right. Um, you know, that, that's, that's something I learned from my father too. And then I will just say that, um, when I came to LA, I started studying, uh, with a woman named Jocelyn Jones, um, mm. as an actor and she drove this home so well, which is luck is when preparation and opportunity meets. And she was so adamant with us about always being ready, always being ready um, for an opportunity. And then as I've sort of had this career and and, um, things have come into my life that I never expected, book trailers, dubs, whatever, um, I, to myself, I think the best piece of advice I've eked out of my own experience is to not make my idea of success so narrow that nothing can fit into it except for the one thing I'm on, right? If I, if I open up and anything is possible and anything can be a success, then all of these gifts and blessings and opportunities can come from places that I never expected them to come from. And I think as a young woman, I thought, being a Broadway star was the only way that I could succeed in mm. my own heart. And that's just not the case, nope. you know? So and now, now you've left up in space for a feature film and so much more. That's that, those are all fantastic uh, pieces. I think back to any opportunity that I really wanted and didn't get, it was because I wasn't ready and because I wasn't ready. I didn't have the courage to take it on. Exactly. Uh, so yeah. yeah, it's cliche, uh, perhaps to say preparation is luck is preparation meets opportunity, but how often is it true? And it's so it's, it's true so often that it's become uh, uh, something people say and people say yeah. it for a reason because yeah, it's more it often really the case is than that. Not. I mean, it yeah. is that just it's be a, ready. It's, yeah. It's a great reminder. Um, which creatives do you most admire? and want to emulate and what do they do from a skill or technical standpoint that sets their work apart? Well, I mean, 
the director of my life, the, <laughs> the, the man that I love and would love to emulate. I don't know if I can now having started at 40, but I'm sorry, starting. Yes. My first feature, I was 39. So, um, but uh, Steven Spielberg, I mean, mm. I love the, he jumps from genre to genre yeah. with such ease and, and he always creates these lasting things that just live inside your psyche. So I love that. I love him um, for those reasons, for, for that his storytelling is him. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, Spike Jones, I love, I love his brain. Yeah. I love, I love the way he tells stories. So specific. Um, Michelle Gondry, um, you know, they're just, there's, there's, there's so many, um, it would be hard to, yeah. That's quite, that's quite a list right there. That's, I know that's, those two, I just, man. Yeah, yeah. it's fantastic. Spike Jones did like a short film with like what looked like a cardboard robot years ago. Uh, it was, it was amazing. I can't remember the name of it, but it was. It's it just was, brilliant. Like the way yeah. he sees things, you know, yeah. He's an underrated pick. We asked this question. I don't think we've ever gotten Spike Jones before. Oh God. So how amazing is it that you said that? So one of my faves, one of my faves. Yeah. You've, you've been, we've mentioned this a few times around so many people, uh, across the spectrum of, of film and theater and commercial and music videos. What are the biggest creative and biz, I'd say business mistakes that uh, you see newcomers making today. So let me, let me restate that a little better. What are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making uh, today? Well, everybody, everybody makes mistakes in a very specific way to themselves. Um, so, you know, that's, it's kind of hard to say. And, and also mistakes are important. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're, yeah. they're, they're really, they're really that, that slap on the ass that you need to <laughs> not do it yeah. the same way twice. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if it's a mistake. I don't know, but I think trying to make something that everyone is going to want to watch. Mm. Again, that biggest. audience trap. Yeah. Yeah make your stuff, make it so specific to you that no one could make it. And, and also falling into this trap of like, Oh God, somebody steal my idea or, or, you know, this, that, or the other. I mean, yeah. no creativity doesn't go away. My Angelou has told us that so eloquently when you're creating, there is only more to create, you know, work yeah. begets work. Say yeah. yes. And then when you've said yes long enough, learn how to say no. <laughs> yeah. I'm still working on that. It's like learn the rules, then you can break them. But if you break them yeah. before you learn the rules, you always make a mistake kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Be curious. You know, I think, I think people are worried about looking naive or looking green, but mm. you are and embrace it 
and ask questions. And if you're around people who don't answer your questions, get away from them. <laughs> I'm here. Shoot yeah. me a message. I'll answer your questions. Oh, I love that. What Find did you mentors. Find mentors. You can't do this by yourself. You know, you, you need help. Accept help. Um, not saying you're not going to have to like carry your own C-stands and put them in your car and ruin it. Not that that's a true story that ever happened to me or anything, <laughs> but like, you know, you're going to have to do a lot of things by yourself, but there are certain things that you can't. Yeah. So, it's like, you're saying truth requires both parties, right? Like, yes. If like, you're around, uh, people, you want me to tell you the truth, but if you don't, if you're not willing to accept the truth with grace, then you've now incentivized me to tell you white lies. Exactly. Do not trust your gut, right? If you're working for someone or with someone who makes you feel less than, get away from them. That is, I think that's maybe my, that's the thing. That is mm. absolutely the thing. Do not waste your time with people because they have been deemed an expert or they have been deemed the best or whatever. If they make you feel like shit, get away from them as quickly as you can. Run, run away from them. Go Again. find mentors who support you and who help bridge the gap between what you know and what you don't know. Yeah. Again, you're going to love the movie Tar. Oh, I can't wait. Based on that answer. That's going to be one we will we'll talk about. There is, this isn't a mistake. I'm not relating it to the previous question. But, I guess there's a big but there. There is a lot of trepidation from creatives in film to be a multi-hyphenate. Now, all of us are multi-hyphenates. All of us can do a bunch of things, but there's a debate that goes on actively right now. Like, should I just put on my resume that I'm a writer, even though I can write and produce and direct? Should I just say I'm a director? Um, you're a multi-hyphenate person. Is there a medium you appreciate? Is there a title you appreciate and enjoy more than the others? And if so, is there one you would pick if you were forced to pick one? I think it's really interesting. I call myself a filmmaker, mm -hmm. um, which I think sort of is my lovely umbrella word for yeah. all of the things that I do. But, yeah. um, you know, it's interesting that you asked that because I think there is this like shame or guilt or something when you do more than one thing, like people are it not feels like seriously don't know what to do with you. Maybe they're not going to believe you yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, they're like, Oh, right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sure. Great. You know, mark that on the, and who cares? Yeah. Um, honestly, I think, I think that I started to call myself a director after I had directed, um, a certain number of things that I didn't make in film school. Um, but even in my movie, I have that scene with the bartender where he says he's an aspiring writer. And I say, well, do you write every day? And he says, yes. And I say, well, then you're a writer. 
So I think that, you know, my subconscious came out there and it's like, take ownership of what you do and who you are and what you believe that you are. And don't let anyone tell you what you are. Yeah. Um, I think as an actor, that was the hardest part for me. Um, you want, you want to be the part you want to be the choice. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I grew up, you know, I did that for 25 years. I mean, I started performing when I was like five. So, um, by the time I was 30, that's 25 years of wanting to be the choice, (laughs) which is like deadly. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and I was adamantly against being a director, which is hysterical. I was like, no, no, I'm not a director. I'm an actor. was very weird about it in my twenties, my teens. Um, people would say, I think you'd be a great director. And and I'd go, no, I'm an actor. Thanks. And then all of a sudden mom died and it was like, oh my God, I've been a director this whole time. I haven't been directing. Why didn't I start directing? Right. Why didn't I start doing this? Um, so there was some psychosis in there. I had to work out. Start cycling downhill then Yeah. as fast as you Um, can go towards directing. And the earliest thing I remember taking joy in was writing. I wrote Mm. poetry as a little girl all the time. My dad would save all my little stories and poems. And um, so like there was, there were all these things in me always. Um, But I did feel shame or guilt saying like, yes, I do all of them. I'll tell you the PGA credit helped me be able to say I'm a producer. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, it, it, that it, was, that was certainly helpful. Um, and certainly, you know, making a living as a director, um, feeding myself and sustaining my life, being paid to do that makes, makes it easier to say that, um, having a film come all the way to fruition with me as the star and the writer helps me say those things. So I think, you know, action is, is the thing that assuages all of that fear Right. Never apologize for all of your talents and never apologize for being as much as you are, I think would be my, my advice to anyone. If you're a writer, say you're a writer. If you're a writer, actor, director, say you are that. If you're a writer, actor, director, circus performer, gardener, (laughs) you know, say that. So, yeah. yeah. I I mean, I totally agree. It's like, the the legitimacy the social credit is something as humans we need we talk about the human condition in this conversation we need that to believe it ourselves a lot of times and um because i think the pushback is hey i just met this this guy he's a barista and then he also said that uh you know he's a writer and a model it's like what 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 have you written oh nothing you can see nothing you can read now. Right. Uh, where did you model? Oh, nowhere you can see like Instagram. And it's like, Oh, there's, you are those things. Yes. And you should say what you want to be in the world and what you're doing, but there's a hyperbole that people use in just everyday nomenclature that makes us suspicious of the multi hyphenate. And so I 100%. think having the legitimacy of like getting those things done is also important. Like you said. And, and I, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's on the person as well. Mm. You know, if you're telling the truth (laughs) or not. Right. Um, But we're always becoming who we are every day. We're becoming who we are. I mean, I bartended forever. I waited tables forever. Um, And, and I felt embarrassed saying I am an actress, even though I had 
been performing my whole life, but because I wasn't acting in the moment because I was handing someone a steak and refilling their wine, (laughs) you know? Um, but my God, uh, Scott Williams, um, executive producer of NCIS, you know, he bartended for 12 years before he sold a script. And I met him when I was doing the lunch shift at Labuka on <laughs> Melrose near Paramount. And I was explaining sweetbreads to the table, which are like, you know, glands. Like throats, and, like yeah, exactly. the throat of a and, um, goat or something. One guy goes, Delicious if they're oh. in butter. Just, yeah, exactly. But he was like, oh God. And Scott goes, thank God we're family, Nell, because that's disgusting. And I looked at him and I go, Scott, if we're family, how come I haven't been on your show? And he yeah. said, good point. That day, wrote down all my information, and I had my first audition for NCIS, uh, I think like 10 days later. And I go. ended up auditioning like four or five more times before I got a co-star, but I did get a co-star. And then after I had directed 45 projects of my own, I said, I want to start directing television. How do I do that? And I called Scott and we had lunch and he's the reason I started shadowing in television. That's amazing. So that's what I'm saying. You have to, if you're working your ass off and you know, you are take ownership for who and what you are. But if you're, you know, if you're not, and it's just a a story you're telling everybody and yourself, and you know if you are, then you know that's on you. But if How you're does... working your butt off, yeah. Oh no, go ahead. No, I was just saying. But if you're working your butt off, like say what you are, say who you are. Yeah, I completely agree because you're just going to put yourself out there, and eventually, you're going to run into your it's version of, of Scott. Yeah, get yeah, a lot so. of lines out there in the water. Just troll it behind the boat. That's it. Roll, roll those big fish. <laughs> exactly. I I noticed you did some work at Film Fourteen. Oh God, some I've done so much work. Or so so much. I shouldn't. Yes, yeah, some is an understatement of, of the conversation. Cinematic book trailers. Now, yeah, I I get a vision of what that is. How? But I think to myself, aren't all trailers cinematic? So. How does a cinematic book trailer differ differ from a film trailer? Not not really that much different, and that's <laughs> and that's the key. Um, okay, so, got so it. Here's, so here's here's so Adam Cushman is the founder and owner of this company. He's a dear friend of mine, collaborator, mm-hmm. brilliant filmmaker, um, and he hired me right out of the gate, like right out of the gate. Um, when I first started and I've now got, I think over, I might be close to a hundred book trailers. I don't know. something. I mean, I say over 120 projects that could be, you know, an understatement. I don't, I don't, I haven't counted in a while, but, um, but anyway, so really with a book trailer, we started seeing a lot of like excerpts, Mm-hmm. And then the cover of the book. Okay. And that would be kind of what rolled up on Amazon and things like that. And um, so Adam and a, and a couple other people around the same time, you know, was in the zeitgeist, started shooting the back cover cinematically. Shooting this like a, like a trailer for a film. Um, and now, you know, 
talk about changing the industry, a lot of these authors now invest in book trailers because then they can sell them. They can use them when they're optioning these things, you know, and this is how this would play. And these are the, you know, and they're very straight to CAA. They tell us us like what they want and, and how they want it. And, you know, what they're looking to do. And then I get to interpret things. I get to write some of the scripts for them and kind of, you know, use my own stuff. Um, I don't do as many of them as I used to, but I mean, I used to do like, Oh my God. I sometimes, I think I'm sometimes I do like 15 a year or something like that. You know, I think it's brilliant. It is brilliant. Go look at them. They're super fun. Find the YA reel and watch that. I mean, a lot of that <laughs> stuff is mine and it is, it's amazing. You're like, what the, there are these guys, the Decca brothers. And I don't, yeah. I, they're like in Indiana or Chicago. I don't know where they are, but um, they are unbelievable VFX guys. Mm-hmm. They shoot some of this stuff for these YA novels that you're just like, wow. Yeah. I, it's, it's blowing up things going to, you know, I think I get a lot of the romance <laughs> and like the werewolfy type witchy stuff. Yeah, all the, my jam. all the Fabio trailers. I uh, so I've done so many romance trailers. Yeah. All the oil um, chess. Yes, that's really the best part of my job. <laughs> but no, I just think, I think, wow, that is such a, a good idea. And, you know, I think there's like maybe a hidden market for this. Um, obviously there's, I'm fascinated just in general by the whole option world anyway. This idea that yeah. a studio would come in, option a book just so nobody else can get it pay the author. It's like a way to like pay your rent without making anything. It's, it's fascinating to me, Oh, it but, is. but there's this app that has grown in popularity by a thousand percent named Wattpad and Wattpad is basically crowdsourced authorship. They have so many YA novels, so many books being written millions upon millions. And there aren't any trailers being made for these people yet. You hooked so, me up. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about it. Wattpad. Let's do it. And uh, they're just, they're basically sitting on, they're just sitting on a gold mine, And they're figuring you know out what? ways let's to actually, monetize it right you, now. Let's, let's you and me and Adam get together on that because that, um, have you gone to the Film 14 website? Uh, I've gone to all the places. <laughs> okay. So we should, we should talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to do it. I, I do want to talk about another thing you do tier lit. Can you just explain briefly what that is? Tier lit is basically my umbrella company. So, you know, all of the films have their own LLCs and their own things that are separate for tier lit. You know, that's where I, that's where I'm like, have optioned this book and it's, it's, it's kind of my, it's like my home financial base. That's like the, you know, eventually I would love for it to be more than that. I don't know if it ever will. I, I really like to partner with other companies that have things in place. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like where my, that's where I, I finance my, my dreams from that, you know, company. Like I get this book or I, you know, invest in that writer or whatever thing. Got it. So yeah. It allows you to kind of diversify and then house all your film LLCs at the same time. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Now you've been incredibly generous with your time. 
This has been, well, my God, I could talk to you for like another four hours. I know I'm in no rush. I'm here. Like I'm, I'm loving this. I know the audience is going to feel the same way. Uh, If you can hang in, I just have a couple more questions. I, I, you've, you've mentioned it too many times for me not to ask this question. Your background is in theater. You came up in theater. Are you ever going to go back to stage acting? I, I, you know, I've been wanting to recently. Like what is prevent? Is it just one of these things where you want to focus on the film and the directing? You know, unfortunately, you know, as we get older, things cost more money. You know, I live a certain way and I, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like taking off, um, let's say two months to go and do a show. Um, it's an expensive vacation. Um, if I'm not being paid for my time, you know, which at this point maybe stepping back into, um, maybe I could do a regional show. You know, I, I, I've been toying with the idea of, um, coming back to Houston and doing something here if I could. Um, but I, I also love to direct theater. Um, and this, the Oladele or the Forgotten Song written by Casey Rogers. She and I are actively looking for um, a theater to put that up for the first time. Um, and Steph is helping so much with that, you know. Um, and uh, it is it is just a phenomenal, actually unfathomable piece of work. The fact that she wrote this, it's it's in verse. It's, um, yeah. it's unbelievable. It's really, truly unbelievable. And, and I was so um, honored and humbled to be able to direct it because um, she is a beautiful black woman. We're both from Houston, actually. Oh. Um, and it is, and it is, it's sort of her interpretation or, or take on the story of Othello. And so it's completely yeah. black cast. And, um, you know, we sat there talking about it and she had interviewed all these people and, and I just got it and I just loved it. And, um, one of the things we talked about was that my experience would have no real place in it, but that I saw it and I could create a structure to hold the experience of these beautiful actors and of her. And, you know, it's just, it's, visual and it's movement and it's sound and it's, it's everything that I am. And so I was, it's just, it's a magnificent piece. And I'm, you know, any theaters in the world who are watching this, please contact me. We need to, we need to put it up. It needs to be put up. So. I'm excited for 23. I'm excited to follow what you do this year and just your whole creative path is just going in the right direction. It's ascending. I'm super excited. Well, Chris, I hope we get to collaborate. Likewise. Likewise. We, I hope we, get to we collaborate. often collaborate with our guests. That's a little bit of secret sauce in the background that Ooh, maybe oh, the audience it. doesn't know, but initial conversation is usually just the beginning. Well, and the, the, the friends that I was telling you about, I've got places to stay in Nashville. So I'm <laughs> yeah, plenty me. of miles. I'll text come down there. We have a powwow. Yeah. Yeah. Key to the city. When you come in, we'll make, I'll, I'll make sure okay. you, you see everything and have a good time. Uh, do you have any, and by the way, Nashville is just like, it's a, it's a good time. Uh, yeah. so no, I love that. Yeah. It's, a, it's incredible. 
uh, it's become incredible having grown up here, being like the unicorn now that actually is from here. I can tell you <laughs> that it's just, it's vastly different and there's always something to do. And there's uh, like a ton of creative people and creative things to do. Do you have any parting thoughts, any words of advice, any ideas, anything you want to share with this audience before we get out of here? I just, um, I just think never, never tap out. I, you know, I mean, I was so, I cannot express to you guys, uh, what it was like to have had a dream your whole life and then to wind up in a marriage that was not right and to feel so desperately lost and far away from that dream. I mean, I was selling, I was running parties for opening and closing nights of Broadway shows, but I was in a basement in a Cuban restaurant selling catering to pharmaceutical reps all day while my friends mm. were rehearsing and getting ready and doing their careers. And I had been sort of early out of the gate. It just stopped. I gave up on myself somehow, somewhere along the way, um, and lost my, lost the vision for my life. And so it's never too late to do anything. It's never too late to come back or reinvent yourself or find a new passion. And, you know, that's life. That's what makes an interesting life. So no matter where you are, what you're doing right now, you're doing exactly what you're meant to be doing. You could do whatever you want the next day. So yeah. I think that would be my, my parting thing. Again, here, here, really well said and deeply appreciated and felt by me. Can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media, where they can yes. look you up on the internet, where they can see yeah. some of your work, all the, all the things. Yes. Yes. Okay. So if you Google my name, uh, Nell, N-E-L-L, last name Tear, T-E-A-R-E, -E, yep. you can click on videos. You'll probably see some of my short films are on Amaletto, um, which is a great place to watch wonderful short films. Um, I agree. You can go to IMDb, um, find me there, Nell Tear, N-E-L-L-T-E-A-R-E. -E. Um, on Instagram, I'm Nell Tear. On Facebook, I'm Nell Tear. On Twitter, I'm tier underscore Nell. Okay. So I'm not on there a lot because it's a trash can. And, <laughs> um, uh, and we're revamping my website right now, which is NellTier.com. Um, but basically, I was blessed with a name that not many people have, so you can find me. Yeah, you're completely unique. Uh, I'm going to follow you on Twitter now that I know what your handle is. And I've found the secret to navigating the trash can that is Twitter is who you follow. And if you tend not to jump into the, the controversy traps there, um, the dumpster you, fire that is yeah you'll just actually the algorithm will just shoot you back things you want to hear about. Like, so my whole circle is like, sports and film related constantly. Like I'm just getting all the film stuff, all the sort of stuff from NPR that I, that I, cause I'm on the board of NPR and, 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 uh, WPLN sort yeah. of so that yeah. news flow, music flow that yeah, I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a musician. And then I'm getting, you know, then I'm getting, you know, sports on the side a little bit too. So 
I find that that I can handle, you know, yeah. that's, that's cool. And you yeah. just make the algorithm work for you. And then I would say just as a freebie piece of advice for anyone who's marketing their film on Twitter, instead of paying ads on Twitter, I think Twitter works better for brand marketing versus sort of um, call to action marketing. So CTA marketing. Yeah. So what you do on there is instead of pay, now you can pay for ads, but instead of doing that, do kind of what you do on Snapchat and form a circle. So you can create what's called a Twitter circle and just add people to your circle. And then you can send all your film stuff out to your circle. And then those uh -huh. people who are going to be like you and interested in you, let's say you have a circle of 500 people, you send uh -huh. it to those 500, those 500 will then shoot it out to another 500. And then all of a sudden you're pinging everywhere and you can always check your analytics live on Twitter in a way that you, um, you do it's, it's much simpler on Twitter to check your analytics than on other social yeah. media networks I've found. So that's a little free, uh, marketing advice, uh, for, for Twitter. If you happen to be on it and want to use it along with From other social media. Self. Yeah, there you go. Um, and, uh, for anyone interested, uh, in, uh, Bonsai Creative and the Make It Podcast. Uh, in addition to going out and and checking out everything that Nell's doing, uh, she just gave you the socials and the and the websites, etc. You can find us at www.bonsai.film, F-I-L-M, and you can find us on social media at underscore Bonsai Creative on Facebook and TikTok. Just search for bonsai creative and we'll come back up uh, come right up you can also just search for the make it podcast and we'll come right up and of course as always let us know uh what you thought about this conversation uh anything uh, that you would like us to improve anything that you thought you know changed your life today let us know that um, by reaching out to us via email contact at bonsai.film or by reaching out to us on social in any of the places I just uh, told you about. You can reach out to me directly on Twitter at, you just search for my name, Chris Barkley or Christopher Barkley. And uh, my handle is flame in your heart. That's with a U and a R. So flame in your heart. And uh, I'll get right back to you. I, I reply to 100% of these things. So with that, Nell, this has been so brilliant. So uh, fun. Yeah, so much fun. I cannot wait to hang. I cannot wait to uh, talk offline. And um, I know that uh, you're going to keep uh, doing your damn thing. So best of luck to the film. And uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. Yes, we will. All right. Be good. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at underscore Bonsai Creative, and on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. In addition, you can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film forward slash donate donations start at only five dollars monthly 
And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your film's financial success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of branding and marketing packages and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.